0: Hello and welcome to Kerrang! Back Issues. I'm your host Stephen and this week we'll be looking at issue number 552, July 1st, 1995, £1.45. You'll never guess who the cover stars for this week are. It's Bon Jovi again. Well, it's not just Bon Jovi, there's actually a couple of other pictures on the cover but he is the main man. Bon Jovi and the biggest names in rock hit the Kerrang! Awards. Sensational star-studded report. It's also on the cover. There's a picture of Television, Machine Head, and Iron Maiden. Also, Metallica confirmed Donington at the Kerrang Awards. Plus, Foo Fighters' new LP review, Pearl Jam, and Neil Young live. As is customary these days, I would usually put the music of the cover star on in the background. You'll notice that this isn't Bon Jovi that's playing in the background. I decided to use uh, Soul Asylum's "Let Your Dim Light Shine." That is a great record. I feel like that record didn't really get enough uh, attention, even though even though I went platinum in America. I feel like everyone loved Grave Dancers Union, and that record was kind of a bit overlooked, but it is a great record. Uh, I'm not including Bon Jovi's music because uh, I think at this stage, after doing this podcast for a year and a half, I think he's been on the cover about eight times or seven times or something ridiculous. It's been a lot, anyway. Um, so, this episode of the podcast. It's episode twenty-seven for the year, and you know we are absolutely shooting for it. I can't believe this episode is July the first. I don't know where I don't know where time has gone. Um, when you are listening to this uh, as it comes out, I will be seeing Guns N' Roses this weekend in London. Anyone out there who's going to the gig on Saturday? Uh, there's a gig on Friday and Saturday. I'll be at the gig on Saturday. So yeah, if anyone is out there, get in touch with me. Uh, I'd love to meet. Some of you for a beer or uh, at least a, a slight push mush to paradise city that'd be nice won't it far too old for that malarkey if we're honest um i'll probably be found somewhere around the mixing desk with a beer in hand because apparently that's where the best sound in the venue is thank you to all the audio files out there respect if you'd like to get in contact with us here at Kerrang back issues we can be contacted at instagram kerrangback issues twitter kerrangpod and email Kerrang back Issues at gmail.com if you would like to leave us a review on apple music or spotify that would be lovely and i understand if not let's start this week with a swift word from the editor in a blaze of glory it's all back on donington that is yes it was announced in the second annual Kerrang awards at metallica were all set to headline the monsters of rock festival on august 26th you'll find full and exclusive details if you turn the page What's more, next week, we'll stick in with a full-on exclusive Metallica interview. It'll be the first Natter with Lars Ulrich since the band began working on their new LP, proving that when the stars talk, they talk to the big Kerrang first. In the next few weeks, as Donington gets closer, we'll be bringing you the up-to-the-minute news on the Festival of the Year as it breaks. Plus, there'll be a full Metallica Studio update, the likes of which you will not find anywhere else. As usual, Kerrang! will be leading from the front. See you in the snake pit on August 26th. Till then, stay clean. Phil Alexander, editor. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Starting this week with Mayhem, the loudest news first and in no surprise, because they mentioned it on the cover and because Phil Alexander just mentioned it in the uh, editor's piece. World exclusive Donington 95 is go. Metallica will headline the Monsters of Rock. Metallica will headline Donington 95 on Saturday, August the 26th. The sensational news was revealed before the star studied audience at this year's Kerrang! Awards ceremony on June the 20th. The announcement brings to an end months of speculation about the future of Donington 95. Metallica had begun to emerge as a firm favourites to headline the bill last week, despite the fact that they had just started work on a follow-up to their 14 million selling album Black. It's really our way of carrying over what we did in the US last summer on the Shit Hits the Sheds Tour to Europe, explains drummer Lars Ulrich, exclusively to Mayhem. We just decided that it'd be a lot of fun. Peter Mensch, Metallica's manager, called us last week and said, look, these guys are desperate. They really want you to go over and play. So I called up James and said, you know, this could be a lot of fun. And it's in keeping with the new looseness we've achieved in the new songs we're working on. We thought that spirit would carry over really well to Donington, and this is going to be our only show in Europe this year. We're all excited about Metallica's appearance, at Donington promoter Morris Jones. They are one of the few truly outstanding rock acts and have always been our first choice for this year's show. We've been in negotiations with the band for almost a year, trying to persuade them to interrupt their work in the studio to play Donington. The foursome, completed by bassist Jason Newsted and guitarist Kurt Hammett, will be making a record-breaking fourth Donington appearance after slots lower down the bill in 91, 87 and 85, but according to Ulrich, it was a last-minute decision to make their Donington headlining debut. We only made up our minds to do this 48 hours before the announcement, he insists, so there are a lot of things still in the planning stages such as the support acts. Mayhem understands that Metallica will be actively involved in putting together a six or seven band bill, unlike 94's Donington. There will be no second stage this year and they've already begun talking to both White Zombie and Machine Head. Other names being heavily touted in connection with Donington 95 include Skid Row, Megadeth, Alice in Chains, Paradise Lost and Slayer. The full bill is expected to be confirmed within the next two weeks. Stop Press and Extreme will make an in-store appearance at London Virgin Megastore Oxford Street on Monday, July 3rd at 1pm. The Black Crows will release a new single, Wiser Time, on July 10th. Port and Monster Magnet both play the Reading Festival on August 27th. Death Leopard are set to release a Greatest Hits album this Christmas. Meanwhile, the band's new studio album Slang is now expected in the first half of 96. Girls Against Boys have signed to Geffen in the US. Supersuckers, the Seattle punk gods, will release a new single Born With A Tale on July 4th. And Scarce have been forced to cancel their UK tour after singer Chuck Granning was rushed to hospital after suffering a suspected brain aneurysm. Blind Melon will release their eagerly awaited new album Soup on August the 7th. Soup, which will be preceded by a single Galaxy on July 24th, was produced by Andy Wallace, Slayer & Nirvana in New Orleans. The songs are a weirder and more challenging set than the band's multi-million selling self-titled debut. This may have something to do with the perilously burnt out state they were in after the two year long Blind Melon World Tour. Yeah, it was definitely a long grind at Pines guitarist Rogers De- uh, Stevens, Did our health and sanity come into question? Of course. You find ways to entertain yourself that aren't very good for you. We ended up cracking up. We cancelled the last month of shows and went home. People have said to me that we've taken some sort of step to the left with this record, but it wasn't really a conscious effort, it's just exactly where we are at this point in time. Where they're at is the land of dense, demanding music somewhere between Led Zeppelin's more brain-scrambling moments and a folk band on very bad drugs. The songs are filled with strange melodies, jarring guitar lines, splashes of harp, cello and piano and off-kilter lyrics. Soup might be the progressive rock record of the 90s. I wish I had the ability to write songs that get right into your head after one listen, but that's just not what we're about, explains Stevens. I'm pretty much bored with a lot of rock music. I feel sort of limited by the medium itself. But it was very inspiring to work in New Orleans, re-recording in this Victorian mansion right in the middle of the French Quarter. It was full of all these uh, old instruments that you've never seen before but you could still pick stuff up and get to make a noise. Significantly the Melons have also killed off their b mascot. Soup will have a cover shot of Knock Twiddler Wallace face down in a bowl of soup and they couldn't be any less concerned about the prospect of following up such a hugely successful first outing. The things that sell albums really don't have a hell of a lot to do with making a great record. There's a lot of political bullshit involved shrugs Stevens. As long as you understand that, and don't go crying to mama if you don't sell a bunch of copies, then you'll be fine. Biohazard hit the UK this month, and according to drummer Danny Shuler, the Brooklyn boys are going to hit you like a ton of fucking bricks. Their appearance at the Phoenix Festival will no doubt rekindle memories of Donington 94 when the plug was pulled on their set after they invited fans onto the stage. I understand why the security guys had to do that, Shuler admits. Nobody wants people to get killed, but we really wanted to finish what we started. All that controversy about the wrecking the dressing room isn't what biohazard are about. But we've had no rules placed on us at Phoenix. We're just going to play our show and whatever happens, happens. It'll be great. The band have toured the globe since the release of State of the World Address, but they recently took some time off to start writing material for their next album. We want to make something that's a landmark, Shula pledges. A record where you go, what the fuck was that? Sadly, both the planned Five Blocks to the Subway single and Chaos in Shoes home video have now had their releases cancelled for the foreseeable future. So we'll have to wait to witness the Biohazard sense of humour on the latter. Yeah, we have in-jokes like anyone else, insists Shuler, but people buy our records and see our videos, and all they see is four guys making mean faces. They must think we're miserable fucking people. We are angry at the world, but you can't walk around like that for 24 hours a day. Doggy Dog are getting all pumped up for their returns of blighty. The New York Funcore mob will support Biohazard and play the Phoenix Festival. We're psyched, says frontman John Connor. We're going on before Biohazard at Phoenix, and there are so many great bands playing the festival. But the important thing for us is that we're on a major British festival, because our situation in the UK has rapidly improved since the Warrant EP came out, and we got some bad reviews. People have really taken a liking to the Allborough Kings album, especially in the last few months. We've put a lot of time in the UK in the last year, and it seems to have paid off. And the Biohazard dates, that was basically a convenience for us. We had some days open in our touring schedule, and our booking agent said, Hey, I'll put you on tour with Biohazard, and that's how it's been for us over the last year. Things have just fallen into place. Sick of It will return to the UK this month for a clutch of live dates. The New York hardcore legend played Glasgow Garage July the 11th, Manchester University 12th, Bradford Rios 13th, and London Astoria 2 on the 14th. Sick of It all have just contributed a track Just a Patsy to a benefit album for Leonard Poitier the Native American who was jailed for murder but has always protested his innocence. Reed Mullin, of Conformity's drummer, is putting it together, reveals frontman Lou Collar. Raising its machine, of Conformity and a whole bunch of other bands are on it too. The band have also been touring consistently since their last shows in Blighty six months ago, playing in the US, South America, Japan, Australia and New Zealand. What's been the biggest culture shock so far? Being in Sao Paulo, Brazil, says Lou. That's a poor country. You stop in traffic and there's like a three-month-old baby laying on the blanket on the sidewalk and the mother's cooking over the garbage. We played in Mexico City for free American dollars and kids were still outside going, there's too much money. What can we do? It barely paid for our flight. Record news and Beastie Boys, the band's classic License to Ill EP is reissued on CD by Ireland on July 17th. Chaos UK and Extreme Noise Terror have just had a joint compilation album issued via Receiver Records. This 18-track compilation features 9 tracks from each outfit. Doggy Dog, the rising New York funcore band, will issue a new single through Roadrunner on August 7th. This is the song No Fronts, which is available on 4-track CD, 2-track CD and 12-inch format. There are 7 remixes of the number spread across the format. The band support Biohazard at Glasgow Barrellands July 10th, Sheffield, Octagon 11th, London, Kentish Town Forum 12th, they will play the second stage at Phoenix Festival on July 16th. Vince Neil, the former Monty Crew frontman, issues his second solo album on Warner Brothers in mid-July. Titled Carved in Stone, it was produced by the Dust Brothers. Testament, the Bay Area thrashers, issue an album titled Live at the Fillmore through Music for Nations on July 17th. Urge Overkill, the American rockers, issued their latest album, Exit the Dragon, through Geffen, during mid-August. Tour news, and Bush, the highly successful Brick Combo, play Nottingham Clinton Rooms July 20th, Glasgow King Tut's 21st, Birmingham Jug of Ale 23rd, Stoke Sheaf 24th, Manchester Roadhouse 25th, and London Highbury Garage on the 26th. Merillion, there will be three special nights held to promote the band's new album, Afraid of the Dark. These are Nottingham Rock City, June the 30th. The band will be signing autographs from midnight. Buckley, Tivoli, July the 1st. The band will be present from 9pm. And South Shields, Victors on the 2nd. The band will be present from 9pm. Rotherham Rocks, 95. This two-day festival takes place on September the 8th and 9th at Rotherham Herring Fort Leisure Centre. Scots prog rockers, Palais, topped the bill on the first day, joined by Abel Gans and Mr So-and-so. Tickets are priced at £9.50 or £8.50. Magnum headlined the second day with Freshhold, Sphere, Sally French and Keith Bell also on the bill. Tickets are priced at £11 or £10. There will be a £1 discount if you buy tickets for both days. Tickets are available from Circle Records, Wellgate, Rotherham, South Yorkshire. Silverchair, the fresh-faced Aussie rockers, will play dates at Birmingham Exposure Rock Cafe July the 11th and London Astoria 2 on the 12th. Mayhem America, the hottest US news as it happens, starting this week with Don Kay in New York. So everyone probably heard that Courtney Love passed out on a flight from Seattle to New York recently. Well, she was in the news again after she went to see Bill Shakespeare's Hamlet at a New York theatre. Love reportedly disturbed the rest of the audience by frantically looking for a valiant pill mid-performance. The new Life of Agony album will be called Ugly. Recorded at Systems 2 Studios in Brooklyn and produced by Steve Thompson. It will feature the following tracks. Ugly, Lost at 22, Other Side of the River, Seasons Drained, Let's Pretend, Unstable, How It Would Be, Regret, The Real You. Plus covers of Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me and Bob Marley's Redemption Song. US News Extra. Pearl Jam has been forced to concede defeat in their long-running battle with US ticket agency Ticketmaster. The band's manager Kelly Curtis issued the following statement. We feel it is impossible to tour America without Ticketmaster. We also feel that for the sake of our fans, in order for Pearl Jam to get back playing music, we may have to work with Ticketmaster. Pearl Jam has scoured the US looking for venues which weren't contracted to Ticketmaster for their current tour. It took us a year to put together what amounts to 13 shows. That's ridiculous, and it doesn't really count as a tour. We now join Lisa Johnson in Los Angeles. Why did Caius recently go into a remote recording studio in Joshua Tree in the arid California desert to lay down more tracks? Would you believe it was for fun? Yep. Having put up with a grind of recording an album, the band rushed straight back into the studio to do some songs. The Chris Bratton Power Trio record might not have been released yet, but it's already become a favourite with the rock community. This wallside project featuring drummer Bratton and bassist Al Block has been given the thumbs up by Rage Against the Machine's Tom Morello and Holes' Melissa Alf Demure. Even Pearl Jam's Stone Gossard has been full of praise, citing it as sexy. A vinyl 7-inch should be available by mid-July when war are due out on the road in the US, supporting the Foo Fighters. The Mayhem America piece this week was actually really, really short. Um, obviously, I can't do anything about this as I'm reading the magazine 20 odd years later. Um, just to say, yeah, it was a bit short. Um, I haven't missed anything out. That's just That's just how it was. I guess it's summer. Um, These guys are busy. Who knows what's going on? Let's move on to concerts. you've never been to a concert in your life. Shut up! Concerts, and the first concert reviewed this week is Bon Jovi, Van Halen, Thunder, and Crown of Thorns live at the Arms Park Cardiff on Wednesday, June the 21st. This one is reviewed by Steve Beebe, and rather than Steve Beebe giving the whole concert a concert quota, He's given each band that played their own separate quota. So we'll begin with Crown of Thorns, who get a static out of five, which is a three out of five. Faced by the glorious sight of blue skies and sunshine, Crown of Thorns took the stage from all the conviction that you'd expect from a band on the verge of the big break. For ex-Plasmatics Giza Jean Beauvoir and his men, this stadia tour with Bon Jovi as manna from heaven. Beauvoir is a flamboyant frontman, his silver blonde mane bobbing in the slight breeze. Hike It Up and Are You Ready are his best numbers, but with most of tonight's 60,000 crowd still at school or work, it's not surprising Crown of Thorns found themselves feeling dwarfed by this cavernous stadium. Enthusiasm is barely raised by the entrance of special guest Little Steven. It's sadly obvious that very few people here have any idea who he is. Thunder up next and they get a high voltage out of five, four out of five. Thunder seemed to be as traditional a fixture of rock festivals as dog burgers and warm ale. For all that, the company wonders pulled off a magnificent set, which grew as the audience began to arrive. Danny Bowles' voice remains Thunder's greatest weapon, used to maximum effect during Dirty Love and the haunting lowlife in high places. If there's a problem with Thunder, it's their tendency to lengthen every song, sometimes to the point of boredom. Thunder's new image, lounge suits, and bright sparkly shirts makes them look like television, which we will assume is a coincidence. The quality of Thunder's performance, however, is as redoubtable as ever. Van Halen and they get a high-voltage out of five, four out of five. gig speculation on the subject of Van Halen was sharply divided. Would they return as the ultimate heroes of hard rock by blowing Bon Jovi to Panama, or would they simply look like a bunch of sad old men plugging a strictly third-rate new album? In fact, Van Halen turned out to be a lot cleverer than anyone expected, providing a perfect support slot to a band who are pretty untouchable now anyway. Instead of boring us with stuff from the last two albums, Van Halen performed an inspirational greatest hit set, throwing in everything from Jump to Sammy Hagar's very own There's Only One Way To Rock. Hagar & Co gave us everything, Sammy incidentally has become a true Trojan of rock. His vocals today were nothing short of incredible and his stage coverage easily made up for Eddie Van Halen's complete loss of mobility caused by a hip injury. Mind you, it was bloody hilarious watching Eddie waggle off the stage like a penguin. Bon Jovi and they get electrocution out of five, five out of five. These days, it ain't easy to describe the true Jovi effect in mere words. Bon Jovi's great secret is that they not only provide a constant snapshot of the times but are never given anything less than their complete heart and soul. The depth of emotion in Bon Jovi's music often leaves one struggling for enough superlatives to do them justice. Tonight, the biggest rock band in the world go for broke in the first round, opening with Living on a Prayer and screaming straight into You Give Love a Bad Name. The audience naturally is driven to an immediate frenzy, something which Jovi succeeded maintaining for the next two and a half hours. Part of the stage show's backdrop is a make-believe bar with genuine bar stalls and endless cans of tuborg. It is from this vantage point that I am fortunate enough to witness the greatest rock show on earth. John turns to us with a toothy grin, that familiar fire burning in his eyes. Blaze of Glory is a gritty drama, John falling to his knees at its climax. Richie Sambora sidles over to say hi while puffing on a herbal ciggy. Blood on Blood and the mighty dry county pass by with maximum intensity. Keep the Faith is a rousing call to arms anthem which raises a sea of hands before I disbelieve in eyes. Being on stage with Bon Jovi is the strangest of thrills, a mixture of sheer amazement and of wanting to shit yourself. Later, 50-foot inflatable monsters are erected on stage, adding to the stadia rock spectacle. New material, the magnificent Hey God and This Ain't A Love Song is aired during the encore. The band too sus to risk much unfamiliar material on their adoring public. Bon Jovi vanish after a mammoth set to torrents of fireworks. It has, once again, been an amazing evening. Time to stop kidding yourselves, Bon Jovi are simply the greatest band their particular genre has ever produced. Next up, we have Neil Young and Pearl Jam, live at the Moe Seattle on Wednesday, June the 7th. Reviewed by Kevin Roberts, this gets a high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. Pearl Jam and Neil Young have just played a secret show in Seattle to give fans a preview of their keenly awaited collaboration Mirable. Veteran Canadian Grunge Meister Young was joined by the Seattle superstars in a secret show at the City's Mo Cafe. Those lucky enough to get tickets to the private performance were treated to a live preview of the new Young album, which is reviewed in full next issue. Neil Young has made several visits to Seattle over the past few months to record songs for Mirable, on which he is backed by members of Pearl Jam. More than 500 invited guests jammed the club for the powerful performance, among them Dave Grohl and Pat Smear from Foo Fighters, Kim Tile from Soundgarden, and assorted members of other Seattle bands, including Seven Year Bitch and The Posies. Young was back for the two-hour show by Pearl Jam guitarist Mike McCready and Stone Gossard, drummer Jack Irons, bassist Jeff Ament and Keysman, and Pearl Jam producer Brendan O'Brien. In the middle of the show, Young played an acoustic set featuring his classic Hey Hey My My Into The Black, the song quoted by Kurt Cobain in his suicide note and The Needle and the damage done. But the remainder of the show was made up of mostly new material from the forthcoming collaboration, with a few other young classics thrown in. Eddie Vedder arrives at the venue in time to accompany Young on the encore Powderfinger. The full set list for the show was as follows. Big Green, Song X, Act of Love, Throw Your Weapons, Scenery Truth, then came the acoustic set followed by I'm the Ocean, Down by the River, Downtown, Cortez the Killer, Powderfinger, Peace and Love. This wasn't the first time Young has joined Pearl Jam on a Seattle stage and the collaboration is continuing on the final day of this year's Reading Festival, with Young set to be backed on stage for his headline act by McCready, Ament and Irons. The final concert this week is from Live and Spell, live at the Loft Berlin on Wednesday, June the 7th. Reviewed by Paul Elliott, this gets electrocution out of five, five out of five. Whoever said these guys were geeks, there's nothing geeky about Live. Ok, so none of them have got long hair, but it is 1995. Live ain't the new Skid Row, but if you want powerful, emotive rock music delivered with plenty of sweat and guts, Live have got it. They ain't the hottest band in America for nothing. With their second album Throwing Copper hitting number one in America, and a stack of 15,000 seaters booked for the band's return to the US next month, it's weird for Live to be touring European clubs. The Loft isn't the grandest of venues, but Live are happy doing gigs where they can see the whites of the audience's eyes. You can believe it looking at shaven-headed singer Ed Kowalczyk. Like the sun, Kowalczyk gives it to you straight. Support Trio Spell, Come On Like a Lo-Fi Smashing Pumpkins, all fuzzy grunge riffs and lazy melodies. And Spell Affronted by a Chick. What a pity Shannon Floyd is married to guitarist Tim Beckman. The Spawny Git. Spell's album Mississippi is out now on Ireland, so check them out. There are more great songs on Throwing Copper than most bands manage in a lifetime. In Berlin, live open up with The Dammer, Otter Creek, Selling the Drama and All Over You. Three incredible songs, and that's just the start. They also play some new stuff which is as good as Throwing Copper. Freaks has a slinky groove leading to a huge blasting hook, while Turn My Head is an acoustic-based number that could be one of the best things the band have ever written. The perfect rock band for the late 90s? Probably. Next up in this week's issue, we have a piece entitled, Arrggg! Extreme pissed off in Paris. Oh dear, it's all gone wrong for Boston Rockers Extreme, who are stranded in the US at the airport from hell. To make things worse, they've a TV crew, radio DJs, and Razor waiting for them 5,000 miles away in France. Waiting for the punchline, you could say that, Riding in a chauffeured car with Extreme members, Pat Badger bass, Mike Mangini drums and Gary Sharon vocals through the scenic delights of Paris, the repeated goofy expression of dupes sends the three of them into fits of hysterics. It's an in-joke thing. You had to be there. Or maybe not. Dupe. We are on our way to an Italian restaurant. NACA guitarist Nuno Betancourt is elsewhere, winding up the final appointment of this publicity jaunt out a radio station spinning the likes of Radiohead, Elastica and The Wild Hearts. Earlier this afternoon, while interviewing Nuno, I gave my best shot at keeping him both awake and interested. C's shutterbug Ray Palmer, AM press queen Vicky Serene et to moi were originally supposed to hook up with the Bostonian rockers yesterday. But, no, no, Nuno. Vicky's initial blitz of calls to the global AM network failed to produce the current location of the band. In the States, in the air, in the hotel, extreme or extinct. Turns out they were stranded in the US of A suffering the brain-devouring tedium of third-degree flight-delay trauma. Yep, Extreme are finally set to push their fourth album waiting for the punchline with a UK tour, but here and now, in a very lavish lounge in this hotel, I'm more interested in Nuno giving us every excruciating detail of his recent flight there. Oh, it was a nightmare, he groaned for a pinched smile, eyelids heavy. Well, we played a gig in Long Island, and everybody except me travelled by bus that day to catch the plane. I stayed in Long Island with my lovely wife because I wanted to hang out with her one more night. So I flew to the airport the next day. I get there like two and a half hours too early and the guys aren't even there yet. Anyway, everyone finally shows. So next thing it's announced that there will be a delay due to an oil leak. He raises a suspicious eyebrow. Sounds to me like a broken plane, but we'll call it an oil leak but they say they're going to fix it. So now we're excited cause now we can catch a really important basketball game that we were gonna miss. Just as the game was over and we're now four and a half hours late departing. They say the plane has been fixed but they're gonna take it out for a ride to be sure. We wait another hour and a half, midnight rolls around. They say that no, we're not taking the plane out but we will be leaving tomorrow at 10 AM. So we said, okay, we can still make the TV show a live appearance and the main reason for the proposed two day Paris promo trip. But that's when the fucking nightmare begins. Picture like, oh, we're gonna give you all accommodation. But now picture getting however many hundred passengers in these Holiday Inn buses. It's pouring and we're all told to stand in line and wait for these buses. We're just out there in the rain and we can't believe this. And you know, they lie to you the whole day and then don't even have the decency. Now you're really tired to get you to a hotel near the airport. Nope, they have to drive you to God knows where. So we get to the hotel. They said they had food. The food's terrible. Nobody eats it. It's 1.30 in the morning. We're told to meet in the lobby at 6 a.m. to catch the flight. We hadn't slept the night before and we barely sleep again. Next morning, they wait till everybody gets down to the lobby and they say we're not leaving till 6 p.m. So anyway, we get that flight and finally make it here to Paris. And even then, we thought it wasn't going to be easy because every time we come to France, there's been a strike. At one time, there was a garbage man strike and this time the conveyor belt at the airport wasn't working. But the good news, Nunu uh, sits erect, is that even though i didn't sleep on the plane i was really flown with these lyrics i was writing oh really but i thought gary was the extreme wordsmith yeah i've sort of been developing that along the way once we finish touring this record i want to put out a solo album i'm obsessed it's pathetic even while recording in the studio i'll be at the piano working on something during a break i'm possessed that's my biggest problem my anxieties but more in the past than now there was a time when i did press traps i'd go fucking crazy It wasn't so much the interview as the in-between time. Travelling, waiting, I'd think, fuck, I could be doing something. But now I've found ways to work anywhere. Are you getting jaded with a press promo treadmill? It really depends on the interview. I could talk all day and enjoy it. But there's nothing worse than talking to somebody who's just there to get you really pissed off. You develop an art. That's why I'm sitting here alone. Actually, the truth of the matter is nobody else in the band likes to talk. Gary finds it really hard. He reads something about himself or an interview that he's done and he fucking hates it. I couldn't give a fuck. Later that evening, at the Italian restaurant, I sit opposite frontman Gary Sharon. We'd exchanged a few pleasantries throughout the day. Nothing major. I noticed him eye me curiously a few times when suddenly he pipes up with, aren't you the guy who described me as interestingly ugly in a Kerrang article? Uh, wow, yeah, I respond quite taken aback. I asked how he remembers it. it was four years ago. Kerrang 342, May 1991 to be precise. Oh, I never forgot that, in fact, I've actually quoted it a few times, but didn't you consider how my mother might have reacted if she'd read it? What? My son is interestingly ugly? Um, no, I don't suppose I did. Who else would you describe as interestingly ugly, he queries, stony-faced. Alice Cooper? Mick Jagger? So it was a compliment, definitely. Oh, he nods, a hint of a smile curling his lips. Glad we cleared that one up. Gonna- Communication. And in this day and age, if you want to get your point across, you can leave a passive-aggressive message on Twitter or Facebook, or even under an uh, image on Instagram. Whereas back in this day in 1995, to get your point across, you had to write a letter to Kerrang. So the letter of the week this week begins, Beavers and Butted would have shit their pants. Pandora Peroxide's tits would have blown up. This is my humble opinion of what would have happened if they'd attended one of the gigs on the Kerrang Karlsberg tour. I went to the show at Wolverhampton. What a fucking night! Misery Loves Company opened superbly and made sure they got involved with the crowd. Headswim played a very strong set. Clawfinger ruled. What a fucking performance! The only possible low point of the night was Warrior Soul, who seemed not to be fully accepted by the crowd, but played good and hard anyway. To top the night off, I managed to leave with a Kerrang Karlsberg tour shirt, a goodie bag, and the setlist that was used by Clawfinger. So thanks, Karen for the best gig that I've ever been to. It truly was a night of fucking chaos. John Brennan, Drake Witch. Let's hope there wasn't a Kerrang cap in your goodie bag, John, because that's what you're getting as your Letter of the Week prize. And cheers to all who attended the Chaos 95 shows. Look out for more Total Chaos next year, editor. After reading Kerrang last week, I had to put pen to paper to Metallica. So, they are to play a gig in the waste of Canada to 200 people, eh? A couple of weeks back, they were far too busy with a new album, which is long overdue to save Donington this year. So 200 North American fans who were able to see the band on the Shit Hits the Sheds tour last year were preferable to 75,000 screaming Metalli fans at the world's greatest festival. I've been into Metallica for eight years and I can't believe they are snubbing their European fans. Sort yourselves out, a pissed off Metalli fan from Cluid. You might be interested in this week's Mayhem section then, editor. My dad phoned from Australia yesterday and told me that I'd failed my university exams. My girlfriend was admitted to hospital last week. My car broke down last Sunday in the middle of town and I had to get out and push it myself. Australia got beaten by England in the Rugby World Cup. But do I care? No, I don't. There's a new Caius album out. Paul from Banger. Gagging for a shagging. Please, please print a picture of the sexiest motherfucker on the planet who is without dispute. Gavin Rossdale from Bush. With that fit bod and curly brown hair what more could any girl ask for let's swim gav i'll fit inside you and feel right through you any day gav's tight jeans from london i am simply stunned what more can i say what has put me in this pleasant state of numbness the best album of the year infernal love by therapy from start to finish it is a roller coaster of love desire hate pain happiness and sadness it's aggressive and tender and always intelligent Until this morning, I thought Trouble Gun would be the album that Therapy would be remembered for, but now I'm not so sure. It seems as if every album they release will be a classic. Yes, there is indeed a light at the end of the tunnel. I can see it now, and there are already three blokes with silly moustaches waiting to welcome me. Smiling Wolf from Taunton On June 11th, Brixton Academy was less than half full for Motorhead. Everyone who writes Dickerang seems to moan about the lack of decent British bands. Well you should have forked out a few quid to be at this gig. The sound was the best I've ever heard at any Motorhead gig, loud and surprisingly clear. Lemmy and the boys were tighter than ever, and no disrespect to Wurzel, but we didn't even notice you were gone. Billy Watkins, London Is it me, or is Kerrang supposed to be a music mag? I've just read issue 549 on what a load of shite it is. Do I give a fuck about whether or not Zach from Clawfinger packs a spare pair of trainers when he's on tour? Do I give a fuck about the sexual preferences of Corey Clark? Do I give a fuck about Whitfield Crane thinks of British beer? The answer to all of the above questions is do I fuck. What I do give a fuck about is music. So let's get rid of all these pointless space fillers and go back to the days when Kerrang was a music mag. The squeaky peach from Oldham. Ill communication. In the middle of this week's Kerrang are the Kerrang Awards. The greatest show on earth. Massive 12 page report. The winners. The losers. The boozers. And the schmoozers. So let me run you through who won what at the Kerrang Awards in 1995. The best new British band were Skunk and Nancy. The best alternative album was Mount Street Preachers for the Holy Bible. The best new international act were Machine Head. The best promo video was Davidian by Machine Head. The best single was Naked by Reef. The best international live act was Bon Jovi. The Kerrang Creativity Award went to Iron Maiden's Steve Harris. The best British live act was Thunder. The best album was Nirvana for their Unplugged in New York album. The Monsters of Rock Award was given to Tony Wilson, producer of Radio One's Rock Show for over 15 years. The greatest all-time guitar riff was Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath for Paranoid. The best British band were TerraVision. The Kerrang! Hall of Fame went to Bon Jovi and the Classic Songwriter Award went to brian adams and kerrang had this to say about the awards complete chaos a selection of choice moments from this year's kerrang awards prior to the start of the second annual kerrang awards blow's vocalist dave gooding was found busking outside the cumberland hotel until the local constabulary threatened to nick him oops upon collecting the best single award reef drummer dominic chanted we're bigger than bon jovi we're bigger than bon jovi not bad for a man wearing flip-flops Upon collecting the Best International Live Act Award, John Bon Jovi chanted, We're bigger than Reef, we're bigger than Reef. Quite. Following his presentation of the Kerrang Creativity Award to Iron Maiden Steve Harris, therapy-based thing Michael McKeegan whipped out two Maiden CD sleeves and asked Steve to sign them for him. How sweet. Thunder collected their award for Best British Live Act dressed in dodgy whistles. Sorry, Thunder couldn't make it, quit frontman Danny Bowles. Instead, they sent us Spandau Bally to accept the award on their behalf ho ho ho. While presenting the greatest all-time guitar riff award to Black Sabbath Tony Iommi, Jeffro Toll's Ian Anderson revealed that he was losing his hair. Tony had managed to keep his, but ex-deep Purple Man Richie Blackmore was currently using somebody else's, allegedly. Tony Iommi was presented with a massive guitar to commemorate his award-winning riff for Paranoid. The guitar was specially designed by Interflora. At the After Awards bash in Planet Hollywood, Iommi was seen handing the guitar to Skunkinancy's front girl skin. Skunkinancy also caused chaos when after winning the Best New British Band Award, they promptly snapped a branch off the bottom of their Kerrang-shaped trophy, making the only ever Y Award. When TeraVision won the Best New British Band Award last year, they lost their award when guitarist Mark Yates fell asleep on a bench outside Burger King after a few too many liveners. This year, The Vision won the British uh, Best Band Award and upon collecting the award in a suitably refreshed state, they were kept well away from benches and branches of Burger King. Following the presentation of MTP's Monsters of Rock Awards to Radio 1's Tony Wilson, MCP's Tim Parsons announced exclusively that Metallica was set to headline Donington on August 26th. Lars Ulrich was originally meant to announce their Donington appearance by a live phone link. Sadly, Ulrich went to bed early and was unavailable to do the honours. No one dared wake him up. And upon connecting the current Hall of Fame award, John Bon Jovi declared, This year has been great for us. We had no idea about this award. It's like a wet dream. We now come to singles and the singles this week are reviewed by Ray Zell. First single reviewed is Milkman's Son by Ugly Kid Joe, and this gets 4ks. So, Whitfield's got a downer on bearing more than a passing resemblance to his Moo Juice delivery personage? Or is there some analogy going on here that's skimming right over me noggin? Whatever, this is a fine wee song, nice sway chorus. Extreme with their single Unconditionally, this gets 4ks. Lovely, icky, gooey, acoustic driven, scented petal of a ditty. Sick bag anyone. Remixed by Guitaro Supremo Nuno enabling new stick geezer Mike Mangini to pot about for sad old lovers everywhere. Next we have Tribute to Nothing with their single Think You Should, this gets 4Ks. Hardcore Malvin Trio with Stranglers type bass booming and balling vox. Whatever it is the singer means, he means it, I was scared. Blow with their single Shrooming at Moles, this gets 4Ks. I was worried I might have been too straight to dig this, but hey, I'm hip. Live pretty much instrumental, tuned with that big but empty Zep thingy, sounds like a 70s TV rock show theme tune, but what else would you expect from these weed-sucking scuzzers? Next we have Van Halen with their single Amsterdam, this gets 4Ks. Semi & Co out blow blow with this swaggering homage to the city where people see little mice with clogs on, and we know why. Shades of Roth-era Halen, yet without the pizzazz the diamond one would have injected. But that's enough drug references. Apes, Pigs, and Spacemen with their single Safety Net. This gets 4ks. Opener to this EP Antiseptic could have done with a touch more oomph in the Dynamics department, but a polished grunge production will ensure that this won't sound dated in six months' time. Quite mega fab. And the single of the week this week is the single Cracked by Nylon Bombers. This gets 5ks. Yikes! Zell sells out with a Cry Tough Slowy. Melodic, but with a frustration fueled undercurrent. My money would be on this Gloucestershire quartet in a fight with Weezer. She thinks I want her back, but I don't. They lie. Their pain is my pain. I emphasize with their confusion because I know all about heartache and rejection. I read about it once in a book. We now come to the Kerrang interview. Heroin almost killed me. So says machine head main man Rob Flynn who explains his band's violent intensity in an ultra-frank interview with Jason Arnock? Sitting in the lounge of London's Columbia Hotel one bright afternoon, Machine Head frontman Rob Finn's voice sounds a little gruffer than usual. The band have been touring non-stop since last year's smash Burn My Eyes was released, and a thousand yells of let freedom ring with a shotgun blast have taken their toll. Finn's teenage years in Oakland, California have often been mentioned in interview, but never really probed. The conversation that follows goes some way to explain the fire behind machine-edge chugging. It also suggests that forming this band virtually saved Rob Flynn's life. Sorry to get psychological, but did you have a happy childhood? It was definitely different. We moved around quite a bit when I was younger, and I went through some pretty traumatic experiences. As a result, I used to get headaches. From the second grade to the fifth grade, roughly between 7 and 10 years old, I used to have unbelievable fucking migraines every day, all day. I wasn't the most sociable person at that point because my fucking head was pounding. I was really introverted, pretty quiet and shit. I had a few friends and that was it, but I didn't tell them about my headaches. I thought they'd make fun of me. I was an only child and adopted. We were pretty poor too. My parents eventually got divorced and that's when I came out of my shell a bit and the headaches went. I started doing drugs and worshipping Satan. When did music come into your life? I've always been into music, my parents liked old rhythm and blues and soul, so I wasn't turned on to heavy music by them. People at school got me into ACDC and of course the almighty Sabbath came along and changed my world when I was about 13. I thought I was going to go to hell, it was fucking evil man, I was scared by it, and I loved it uh, all at the same time. Sabbath was the band that made me want to smoke weed and do drugs, with Sweet Leaf and all the Satan talk. At that point I became this crazy fucking pot smoking, drug dealing, alcohol drinking, Satan worshipping bastard. I used to walk around at school with a satanic bible and randomly scream quotes at people. They were like, whatever, dude. At least you were talking to people. Definitely. I thought I was being very sociable. From there, I just fucking got into stuff like vandalising things. A few little crimes here and there. At that point, my dad had pulled in a steady job, so we almost had a middle class thing. I worked too, doing dishes and cleaning tables, whatever it took. I spent the money on speed and beer. I still don't feel guilty about stealing from the local liquor store. Me and my friend had a whole routine down. We ripped the place off almost every day, until we got chased by a guy with a shotgun. I broke my arm trying to jump over a fence. We dropped the beer too. When did you get into speed? I guess I was 17. I fucking loved it straight away. I didn't like coke because it didn't last so long and didn't get me so fucking charged. I did speed every day and ended up losing 40 pounds in weight. Me and my friend would drink a litre of vodka and do a quarter of speed every night then four times that at weekends. I almost killed myself doing it one time, so I thought I'd better stop. Were your mum and dad aware of your drug intake? Yeah, they found all my gear. At that point, I couldn't fucking care less, but I wouldn't do it in front of them. There's stuff you don't do in front of your parents, like masturbation. They kicked me out a few times before, and when they found I was doing crank speed, they kicked me out again. I stayed with friends and lived with whoever, up and down the Bay Area. I couldn't hold down a job, so I sold drugs or whatever. Were you into the Bay Area thrash thing uh, by this time? Oh yeah, I was going to shows all over the place. Seeing all the underground bands, it was great back then around 86. I was fanatical about Exodus. I'd punch you if you slugged them. Exodus shows back in the Bay were absolutely the most violent shows you could go to. The most fights, stage dives, crazy shit. But Exodus fizzled out after that first album. When did you first pick up a guitar? My dad bought a five string classical acoustic. It was so old that the strings were black, but you could still play it. I took an interest in it when I got into Sabbath. When I was 15, I finally learned how to play sweet leaf. At that point in my life, I wanted to be geezer butler, but someone told me I wouldn't look good playing bass. Being the shallow bastard I was at the time, I said, okay. I was playing with Forbidden at my first club shows, and I was verging on being homeless. My money was going on drugs, and I was causing a lot of problems. Violence rehearsed in the same studios as me, and they approached me. It was after I broke my arm that I decided to join them. That lasted 5 years and 3 albums. When Machine came out, you refused to discuss violence. Can you talk about it now? Yeah, I can talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it before because my attitude was you shouldn't ask about violence if you didn't care about it before. It was a pretty ugly spit at the time. I was really fucking out of control. We were constantly fighting and arguing about everything. Violence was never a close band. I'm a stubborn son of a bitch and they didn't agree with me. Violence spent a lot of time in limbo towards the end. I lost a lot of confidence in myself and waited for six months debating. In that six months, my life just went spiraling out of control once again. I started doing heroin and drinking again. I was getting into fights the whole time and had a running with 15 black dudes one time. It was me and Adam actually and we had to do some pretty drastic things to get out of the situation. As a result, we had to lay low for a while. At that point, I realised I had to do something else and eventually my life got back together. What's your stance on drugs these days? Mm. Well, I almost fucking killed myself with heroin and had to have my heart pounded on. I don't do that anymore because to lose everything to heroin would be stupid now. I don't smoke weed. It makes me too paranoid. On New Year's Eve, I reminded myself why I don't do speed. That was the last time I did drugs like that. All I do is drink now, basically. Have you thought about the second album yet? no we figured we'll milk it for another five years and then re-release the singles we've got one new song called the Frontlines," which is pretty cool almost more mechanical sounding but i don't think the next record will drastically veer away from burn my eyes we've come a long way in a short time but when people say hype it kills me it's uh, never said to my face either always behind my back it just happened that we got some great reviews in well-respected magazines and it would have been stupid not to capitalize on that i mean if the most beautiful woman ever came up to you and said you're the finest man i've ever seen You'd be a fucking idiot not to get the best blowjob you've ever had in your entire life. Basically, we're heavy metal, aren't we? We made a record, so heavy, you couldn't get off the turntable. Next up in Kerrang, we have albums. And the album of the week this week is Foo Fighters with their self-titled album Foo Fighters. This one is reviewed by Paul Rees and this gets 5Ks. It could have gone either way tried to rewrite former glories, or disappeared up his own ass. Thankfully, Dave Grohl has done neither. Foo Fighters is more than strong enough to stand or fall on its own merits. The re-emergence of the first of the remaining Nirvana duo is bound to attract huge amounts of interest and bullshit. Foo Fighters have been damned on both counts by the misleading Nirvana with more Beatles and less Black Sabbath Advance word. To set the record straight, Foo Fighters cannot fail to evoke Kurt Cobain's memory, whether it be through Grohl's ragged howl of a voice or the way a number of its songs go soft, soft, loud. But Grohl was playing in much the same musical ballpark with Washington DC's Scream, before he or anyone else had heard Nirvana and Nevermind. Both had about as much to do with Black Sabbath as the Mormon tabernacle choir. End of story. To Foo Fighters, the album, Side One, is fantastic. The first track, This Is A Call, takes 30 seconds to uncork the first great hook. Grohl's and Pat Smears' guitars usher in the opening verse into a blistering pop chorus that sounds like the Beach Boys played for a blowtorch. I'll stick around. Takes a while longer to reach the same peak. The snaking, breathy verses, twice threatening to explode before they run into a wall of thick, malicious guitars. Grohl screams a refrain, I don't owe you anything, as if he's on the verge of bursting several major arteries. It sounds like some sort of personal exorcism. Big Me, which follows, would be a harmless bit of ear candy by comparison. We're not for the fact that the central melody sticks like glue. It falls comfortably between the teeth gritting roar of I'll stick around and the frantic lurch of "Alone lone and easy target. The frenzied rush of good grief and the spacious intensity of floating. On all three, the guitars cut like cheese wire through some thrilling melodic twists and turns. The decision to simply remix Grohl's original demos was a stroke of genius here, particularly Foo Fighters hurls along with a white knuckle sense of urgency. The tidal wave of scuffy noise that is Beanie is indicative of the record's second half. More out on a limb, Grohl's vocals sound like a drowning man hollering down a loud hailer. His guitar is like a road drill, which probably explains why it's the most nerve-jangling two-minute blast since Territorial Pissings. Oh George, for all the cows, Ecstatic and Watershed each pick their way through dense guitars, incomprehensible lyrics and hazy melodies like they're being constructed on the spur of the moment. Every uncomfortable stumble compensated for by a needle-sharp moment of clarity. Foo Fighters is played out by Exhausted, winding up from a migraine drone to a bone-breaking hail of feedback. It will sell by the million it deserves to. The next album reviewed this week is In A Word by Fudge Tunnel. Reviewed by Malcolm Dome, this gets 4Ks. So, why has this compilation of hard-to-find and previously unreleased material emerged now? Good question. Apparently, it was due to be released 18 months ago, but problems getting the necessary permission to include the 7 tracks taken from Radio 1 Peel Sessions delayed everything. So what was meant as a stopgap to tide over fudge fans until their next proper release could end up being their swan song, as the trio are considering splitting. But if this is the final burst from the Nottingham Noisecore squad, then it ain't a bad way to go. What's on offer are 15 tracks, including 3 pulled from a Peel Session in 1990, plus another four from Peel 92, and damn fine raucous stuff it is too. In addition, there are two cuts, Grey and Spanish Fly, recorded in New York during 1993, plus the previously unreleased nastiness of Sweet Meat, and that's not all, because we get free live blasts from the Dynamo Festival in 92, and few raging covers of Black Sabbath changes and May Blitz for Mad Men only. It all adds up to a glorious noise attack that... Despite the diversity of sources from which the material has been culled, actually has a definite uh, cohesion. And if proof is needed that Fudge Tunnel are one of this country's finest extreme metal talents, then here it is, in spades. The next album reviewed is Spirit of the Wild by Ted Nugent. Reviewed by Dave Reynolds, this gets 3Ks. It's a popular misconception that Ted Nugent albums are riotously and religiously over-the-top gargantuan heavy metal affairs. As the Nugents once quoted about something or other, If I went over the top, you'd be lying here in a pool of blood. Spirit of the Wild is Ted's first solo album since Damn Yankees was put on ice. It's also the first solo album he's released since the criminally ignored If You Can't Lick em, Lick 'Em." Lick back in 1988. Now that album was pretty much all Nugent on the vocal front. Spirit of the Wild however finds Nuge reunited with old sparring partner Derek St. Holmes again. St. Holmes may have shared most of Ted's finest hours but some of these tracks sound more like they belong on a Derek St. Holmes album and the opener, Firacious, sounds like a throwback to Damn Yankees. Spirit of the Wild is however at its best with cuts like Wrong Side of Town, the funky blues of I Shoot Back, The carnal Just Do It Like This and the public service announcement that's Kiss My Ass. Howard Stern, Courtney Love, Tom Schultz and Beavis and Butthead get credits here amongst a cast of thousands, whilst Hot or Cold finds Ted taking on an uncanny Mick Jagger role in a track that just reeks of the Stones. On an emotional plane, Nuge throws in Fred Bear, a song about some of his hunting exploits that's close to his heart, as well as Tooth, Fang and Claw, a number inspired by Ted's old amboy, Duke's album of the same name. Both find the man, his music and nature as one, but neither really rocks in the manner that many still think Nugent should, which brings us back to the opening paragraph. And lastly in Kerrang, we have a piece entitled The Original Green Day. They are the godfathers of punk. Everyone from Offspring to the Wild Hearts digs them. They are the Ramones. A dewy-eyed meanie meets them in New York for what may be their last ever interview. Everybody's talking about punk rock these days. Half of them think that Green Day invented it, but punk rock is as old as the hills. It's older than the Sex Pistols and even the Clash. Punk as we know it was painted by the Ramones 21 years and 2000 gigs ago. The Ramones have been around longer than most Green Day fans have lived. They're the Rolling Stones of the blank generation. They're the backbone of punk. The life pulse that moved through Sham 69, through Minor Threat, through Huskadoo, through Nirvana. In times of trauma, when new romantic, simpering college nerds or kinked imitators have gotten the upper hand, the Ramones have always been there to pull you through. But having started the original punk rock movement, fed it, survived it and bounced back riding the hardcore boom, they are about to bid us farewell with one last flurry. Another album and a tour that promises the usual reliable mix of incredible dumbness and raw buzzsaw guitar energy will mark the end of the Ramones, the kings of punk are calling it a day. How do the Ramones feel about all these young pretenders selling albums by the million? I put the question to godlike frontman Jerry Ramone and the band New York Rehearsal Studios. Well, punders the gentle giant, it beats having to listen to Ario Speedwagon. In America, punk rock is finally legitimate two decades after its inception by the Ramones, and I'm happy for it. You know, it's like a cleansing. It's de-weeding all the bullshit and making things fresh again. To some extent anyway, says Joey, showing signs of reservation that become more explicit during the course of the interview. I don't think these bands like Offspring and Green Day and Hull are radical in any sense of the word, but at least it's kind of cool. It's youthful. It's about expressing yourself and not being a clone of a clone, even though most people still are. Now there's not really any boundaries. There was a time when the parameters were there, and if you were into heavy metal, you couldn't like punk. Now there's just a big blend of stuff. But that's boring, is it? Well, yeah, it is kind of boring. That really great rebellious spirit has gone. In the 50s, you had kids getting turned on to Elvis and Little Richard. In the 70s, it was the Ramones and the Sex Pistols. It's not quite the same getting turned on to Green Day, is it? Nah, it's definitely different today. There seems to be a lack of charisma. The good stuff is missing. Bands these days lack a core. Everything's superficial. There's no soul? Yeah, like soul, Joey agrees. Look at a band like Hole. Courtney Love is all about being obnoxious, attention-grabbing, sensationalism. To me, it's totally different from the days of the Sex Pistols. They were like, let's be punk, let's be outrageous, keep ourselves in the magazines the whole time. Nowadays, there's nothing going on. Really? Being a fan of rock and roll myself, you've got to ask, what is there? I still get excited when Motorhead come to town, Joey chirps. They're exciting. They're loud. They rock your them, These new bands, you see their video on MTV, then you go see them and it's all this wishy washy shit. They've got no stage appeal. But for kids who weren't born or who weren't around to experience punk back in the 70s, this is their day. You gotta look at it like that. The cool thing about it is that everybody wants to know about the origins of punk. Everyone's buying up the original stuff. Everyone wants to know about the pistols and the clash. These new bands are all saying that the Ramones are the reason they got started. Green Day are cool, they're definitely big fans of the Ramones and so are Offspring. Are you bitter about the enormous success of these latter-day copyists? I can see how we could be expected to be bitter massive commercial success eluded us and now green day are selling 8 million records you can't be bitter. if you are it's your defeat at least we've been recognized as the originators given that most early punk bands burnt out like shooting stars how have the ramones managed to keep going for so damn long i think the reason for our longevity is that we always cared about our fans and about our music joey tugging at my heartstrings now winds up possibly his last ever kerrang interview with these words we always maintained our integrity for live shows or recorded music. There are bands that are great one night, the next day suck. The Ramones are a band you can count on being great every night. Chart Attack and the number one album this week is These Days by Bon Jovi. Number one in the indie album charts is Draconian Times Paradise Lost and number one in the singles chart is This Is A Call by Foo Fighters. The readers chart this week comes from the Yorkshire Metalheads. Their chart begins, one, Iron Will Skid Row, two, The Hell I Gave Bang Tango, three, Remains to be Seen Skid Row, four, Major Barbara Aerosmith, five, Handful of Rain Sabotage, six, 20th Century Boy Bang Tango, seven, Sucker Punch The Wild Hearts, eight, Born to Raise Hell Motorhead with Ice-T and Whitfield Crane, nine, Take It Off Kiss, and ten, Take It Away Slashes Snake Pit. The Star Tracks this week comes from Chad Taylor from Live. His chart begins, one, Greatest Hits Bruce Springsteen, two, Bring Me Your Love to Me, PJ Harvey. 3 in Utero Nirvana, for A Week There One Night Solution AD, and 5 The Ultimate Experience Jimi Hendrix. Next week in Kerrang Back Issues, world exclusive, you'll only find one Metallica interview in any magazine this month, it's next week's Kerrang. Bon Jovi, exclusive candid new shots of John and the boys, Pearl Jam the Neil Young album dissected, sick of it all, mean, loud, vicious and no fucking drugs, dog eat dog nutty in New York with the batty borders. Fear Factory, Comic Capers with the Masters of Metal, and Rage Against the Machine, Bloody Hell, they're back. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next Wednesday as usual, so I will talk to you all then. Look after yourselves and bye for now.